The sky over the eastern desert is enormous. Standing on the sacred plateau where the remains of the Daleth Benevolent Juga are collected, one can see from horizon to horizon an endless world under an endless sky. The torches that adorn the plateau flicker. Moved by the sight and terrified by the thought of being moved by the sight, the chosen emperor places his face in his hands and begins to weep. Welcome to Sword of Symphonies. host, your king, your endless sky of eternal night. It's me, Kat. Hello, Kat. Hello, Nick. Nick is with me today. How are you doing? I am with you today. I I suppose I am personally doing okay today. There's been some shenanigans at the house. Um, There's been some shenanigans. There's there's been a lot of shenanigans. But we're staying as safe as we can. That's all you can do these days. With me, we have Kathleen. Hello. Hello. What is it like being Kathleen today? I did so much stuff today. Oh. Just so much stuff, listener. You'd probably believe if I told you, but it's a lot. Doing stuff. Powerful. What about you, Kirsten? You doing any stuff? Oh, yeah. I I did stuff. Was it productive stuff? No, I didn't ask if it was productive stuff. I No, it's not the question. (laughs) I did do stuff, yes. <laughs> Previously on Sword of Symphonies, the party returned Fulquin's staff to her at the monastery at Dunbarrow, and in the process had to half-explain a great many things to Theo. Didn't go much further than half-explaining anything in their usual style. <laughs> Agrippina had news for the Arcanists, that news being that the shackle is breaking. Callum and Theo, fairly certain that by the shackle, their deity means the chains of obsession that bind demon kind and prevent them from running completely amok. And the notion of that breaking was deeply upsetting to them. So after catching up with the party, kind of, they made some decisions. Theo was to lead an expedition of arcanists up to see Agrippina in person. Fulquin intended to undertake her first pilgrimage, despite having been carrying her Daleth with her for some time. And Cogtis and Penelope, as a favor to Callum, agreed to go seek out the oldest child of Agrippina, a dragon said to dwell in the old capital on the Goat Home Veldt. I'm sorry for that laugh, but I just remembered the like very strong mental image of seeing Callum and Theo just the looks and exchanging looks while Fulquin is explaining. It's so good. It was a good time. It was a good episode. <laughs> now we're in the present, recording another good episode. You're standing in the foothills. You've left Dunbarrow because I I let Dylan go. So we've left already. <laughs> but we are in the foothills overlooking the go to home veldt. And I can't realize that I have not sent you all to the Veldt yet. Believe it or not, we have not been on the Veldt, the biggest part of the continent, on the main program yet. One of the central features of Amilta, haven't been there, don't know what it is. So, let me be the first to welcome you to the Goat Home Veldt. 
let's say it's dusk. The light is fading, coming in at a steep angle, but there's a lot of sky over the goat home felt. Looking down on it from the foothills, it's pretty much flat. And so there is plenty more room for the sun to continue to descend. It is covered with wild grasses. And at a distance, you can see stands of trees here and there. Saloos, the occasional ruins. It's not featureless, but it is awfully flat. And you're quite, quite inland. Mm, I've never really liked coming here, everybody. Too far inland. What's wrong with here? It's it's quite beautiful. You can smell the flowers. Thought nods too far inland. Hmm. I guess that's true. That's kind of how I felt about the seed at first. That it's first too far inland? Felt odd. When were you here? Oh, I as a young lad I lived not too far from here. It's one of the reasons why I had to get to the sea as soon as I could. Oh. Oh. Really? Yeah, hamlet or village, whatever you want to call it, just outside of Stageport near the Velt. Oh, that's all the way on the other side. Mm-hmm. We're very far from there. Yeah, but the Velt looks the same the whole way through. Well, that's not true. <laughs> Penelope looks deep in thought. It's hard to picture Cobb anywhere but the deck of a ship in the open ocean. No, but this is an early fuzzy felt grape. They live on this side. They like it where the arid's still near or something. Mm. They're nearer to the last tooth in the foothills always. Gideon kind of tucks her long dark hair behind her ear and stares out over the veldt. Bit of a smile. This is, after all, similar on its face to the tundra, but different enough that she can relax. Yeah, just look at it. An ocean of green that you can't sail on. <laughs> now that's true. You can't do that. You can't do that. He's right, Tessa. You can't do that. No, no, big guy, you're right about this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, time for camp? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. The light is fading. How much time do we have, Cobb? Cobb takes a look around and just says, we've got enough time to make camp. <laughs> There's no real, you know, hills or anything for the sun to dip behind. So as long as we stay, I guess, out of the shadow of the one tooth, we'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Biggest worry's got to be the horrors, but huh? those get worse further in. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, that's who mm. lives here. Well, them and, uh, shall we say, eccentric people? That's a good way of putting it. That sounds like a story, too. Um, Cobb. Hmm? And Cobb turns around from looking over at the belt. Are you dreading this? Are you dreading going to meet a dragon again? <laughs> Cobb shifts around a little bit and just kind of says, no, but yes. <laughs> well, let's, I, I've never met them personally, but let's just say that the stories I've heard about them or the story I've heard about them wasn't especially pleasant. 
of course it was told me by Marilyn. So, you know, she's Mm. liable to exaggerate those sorts of things. And she's afraid of a lot. (laughs) She didn't have a good time with them. They scared her something fierce. Maybe it's just the way she told me the story. (laughs) Ah, well. Well, they can't be any brattier than Daybreak, and you two get along great. (laughs) Penelope shoots a look. (laughs) No, Tissa just giggles in character. No, I suppose you're right. (laughs) Anyways, Penelope, come help me look for some firewood. And I think Penelope's going to roll a survival roll to help set up some camp. Yeah. Yeah, Cobb will also roll probably adaptability survival. Okay. And Tissa will roll understanding survival. After all, she's been on this part of the belt before. Mm. Well, Cobb rolled very poorly. One edge success. Penelope got two successes. Uh, Tissa got one success and one edge. Like, I mean, you're setting up camp on gentle terrain. I think like an average of one success a piece will do the trick. Although, Cobb, you do notice that you're distracted and Penelope seems to have this. And Gideon kind of crouches next to Sot and points out to where this streak of lavender flowers paints across the landscape. The boundary garden. We're ways from it yet. But that bit of lavenders marks the difference between safety and peril on the goat home veld. You are, of course, going to cross it. That's what's happening. But for now, you're on the safe side. It's got to be a really, really long way to the capital. Because, hmm. Wow, we're kind of doing a pilgrimage, aren't we? Kind of. Well, we're we're going to get 90% of the way there, at least. Hmm. Hmm. Isn't it supposed to be really hard to get in? Um, most pilgrimages are really hard, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Cobb is staring off into the distance. Marilyn said she snuck inside. <laughs> and Cobb kind of looks at the crew. That, that <laughs> sounds like Marilyn. <laughs> but wait, does that mean we have to sneak inside? Are we going to be going on another stealth mission? Like disguises? Is that what we need? Cobb just kind of like <laughs> chews on nothing. <laughs> Gideon just starts just, like, completely losing it, I think. (laughs) Oh, I guess that was just Marilyn's choice. (laughs) Well, it's something that she was very good at. I I hope we can come up with our own plan, though. I still have my butler suit, so... (laughs) Well, maybe that'll help. Maybe. Maybe. Hmm. Hmm. Well, the good news is we're on the safe side, so we can expect not to get ambushed tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I could go for an easy night. Right. I can keep watch for some, if just in case. Hmm. Well, if you want to stay up, although... Actually, what is the wildlife situation around here like? We may not have to worry about horrors, but is there any, like, big critter that we should keep an eye out for? Oh, yeah. Oh, there's big critters, yeah. Big old grassland cats? You know it. Wolves? Oh, yeah, for sure. Coyotes? Oh, tons of them. 
Well, let's make sure that we've got all of our supplies all wrapped up nicely before we uh, head to bed, and that that would be great, Penelope. Thank you. Hey, it's no problem. I can keep an eye on the fire. That should keep any larger animals, hopefully, at bay. I'm not tired. No? No. Sot shakes his little head. No, it's uh, probably not time to tuck in yet. Ooh, is it... Is it s'mores time? Can I roll for s'mores ingredients? I'm I'm curious to see if Penelope... If anybody would have them, Penelope would have them. If anyone would have them, it would be Penelope. Yeah? Yeah? No, you know what? Okay. Yes, I, I've I've made I've I've cycled through. You've heard me go through several emotions. I've decided yes, please roll. All right. I think Penelope is going to roll ah, understanding survival. That's probably for like storing and transporting food, right? Okay. One success, one edge. I was very much hoping this would happen. <laughs> if you keep the edge success. You have two out of the three s'mores ingredients, and we'll need to improvise the third. Yeah, that sounds Penelope. Yeah. So, what does Penelope have? So, Penelope digs through her bag and finds some graham crackers and marshmallow-type fluffy stuff, but then finds a wrapper with some, like melted chocolate remains on it, but no chocolate inside. She did not realize her chocolate supplies were gone. Oh, no. So, improvisation time. Um, I'm going to roll a discovery roll for something useful. Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, dear. Oh, dear. One success. (laughs) You know what? You know what you find? Some berries. Ooh. Is it the same as s'mores? Not without chocolate. But strawberries and marshmallows on graham crackers, you could do worse. Yeah, they get kind of like warm and almost like jammy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. So I think Penelope, once she's found some strawberries, settles down by the fire and motions anyone who's interested in having some uh, makeshift s'mores to sit and... And have a bit of a snack. Ged's all over it. <laughs> Ged is absolutely all over it. You know her. She must taste everything. It's not the same as s'mores, but it's it's pretty good. I, mm-hmm. mm. Hey, are you sure we're gonna eat these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're similar to to ones that grow near my home. They're okay. They're good. Yeah. Sot sits in on the other side of you, and he's just pensively trying to work out the logistics of eating something this sticky. Looking at his hands, kind of flexing his fingers, like, how do I? It's- the trick is, you just get your hands all messy. Then you just lick them off after. As Penelope's just like <laughs> going to town on the remains that are left on her fingers. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, he's a, he's a kid. He doesn't object. <laughs> Tissa looks a little bit disappointed at the new glaive 
This is too wide. They're supposed to be wide. Well, but you can't put anything on it. Oh. No, no, Tissa, Tissa, it's... You don't put it through things. You put things on it. Turn it, turn it yeah. sideways over yeah, the flame. Yeah, turn it, turn it what like a like a big oh, frying pan. Okay, oh, like this. Yeah. Oh, we're clever. Huh. Okay. Don't worry, it can take it. This is not the first time it's been used as an impromptu frying pan. <laughs> mm. It's also a lot to sharp and. And Tissa looks at Cobb's, like, 12-bladed weapons. Cobb's may be a special case. <laughs> I, th- I think as long as you treat it nicely, I don't think that should be too big of a problem. Mm-hmm. And Cobb kind of looks at his sword, which he has sharpened all of zero times, and it still has its edge. Mm-hmm. I think if it wants to be sharp, it will be. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess. Well, as long as it still likes you, I suppose, and it does seem to like you very much. It's nice to know. I I like it, I just don't understand it very well yet. But sparring was strange. Mm. But I suppose you two know how to fight people. Um. What's the thing you do with swords, I guess? <laughs> A little. I mean, to learn, right? Yeah, yeah, to learn. Anyways, um, Penelope, can I, can I have some of our, our, well, you've, do you at least still have graham crackers? Yeah, yeah, here, 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 here you go. Thank you. Now I have, I'm Kat, hi. Hey everyone, it's me, Kat. How you doing? Doing good. I'm Uh, glad, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, hi. I have... Some thoughts, some competing thoughts, some a veritable dueling banjos of thoughts in my uh, little brainsy. I would like to share them with you. Mm-hmm. Please. The first of my thoughts is that it might be a nice time for story time. Ooh. It would be a fun story time. The second of my thoughts is that demanding that you all tell me stories is uh, a little much of me. And so <laughs> another option is that it becomes morning, and I do nonsense. I think Cobb has a story. That's our captain. Yeah, so um, as Cobb is chewing on his graham crackers and kind of looking at the spear, he sits up and dusts the graham cracker dust off him. Why don't I tell the story of the last time I remember we had to use that thing as an improvised uh, griddle? Penelope looks up from her improvised s'more sandwich and kind of stops mid-bite. So this must have been, oh man, almost 10 years ago at this point? Yeah, maybe eight or nine. It was a while ago. We we tried to stay a little ahead of things after this. But there's a, there's a little island just southeast off of one of the trade routes that goes around Hush Wave City. And we had just brought back quite a haul. It was from a a merchant vessel. We had, well, we had had been tracking the cargo for a while. It was, um, I believe it was some sort of parts or pieces, uh, archaeological finds of some sort, going to some private collector back in Stageport. I can't remember who, some 
incredibly rich person who wanted pieces of the past that didn't belong to them. And so they had hired a group and done all of that, and, well, wouldn't you know it, one of our scouts tipped us off to it. So after a rather, well, easy haul, I should say, we were trying to figure out what to do with it. Then I got a call from everybody's friend, my friend, again, about their new friend showing up. Needless to say, we got hit with a squall. And it was me, the navigator, and his husband got stranded on this little island. Just the three of you. Just the three of us. Well, it was going to be a week before anyone would be in the area to see a signal. So we had a week on this little island, and we had about three days' worth of rations, no cooking utensils, and a lot of very expensive archaeological finds, which we couldn't eat. So what did we do? Well, fishing, mostly. Mm -hmm. However, the... Fish in the area all lived near a uh, rather sharp coral reef. You could you could go out there and pick around at it, but it was pretty slow going, and we managed to get maybe half a meal's worth off after a couple hours. There just there wasn't anywhere to sit. There wasn't anywhere to place. Um, there was nowhere to put anything we would have had to have built some sort of contraption around it. And so it came down to the decision to use the hall to construct a fishing pier. Oh. So that's why that stuff never made it back. (laughs) Made out of priceless archaeological pieces. I'm sure the next people to get shipwrecked there will be grateful. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they will. We did try and retrieve some of it, and uh, it didn't go so great. But the reef has a very nice bulkhead for more eels to live in now. Well, I'm glad there was a happy ending. Mm Mm-hmm. From archaeological find to biological habitat. Well, we, we all made it back there. It wasn't that happy, though. We got chewed out pretty hard. Um, did, did you at least get to eat the eels? Oh, yes, they were quite delicious. Yay. So then it was kind of a happy story. Kind of. We, we were able to parlay some dried eel for uh, a couple of days less of deck swabbing. The captain was a big fan of dried eel. <laughs> Ooh. Never had it dried. It's a little stringy, but I think it reminded him of home. Mm. But I do know for a fact that that spear makes a very good cooking surface. We used it, well, for about a week. Oh. In fact, it got more use as a fishing implement and a skillet than it probably saw actually being a spear. Well, that's what's good about spears. They kind of do everything a little bit. Mm-hmm. But that reminds me, you do have to be careful in the woods what you use for cooking. This is a story that happened to a friend of a friend of mine. And then Penelope dramatically 
toss it, sprinkle something on the fire. <laughs> okay, I'm here for this. This is excellent. Penelope, that's our, that's our. Let me tell you the story of the hungry travelers. Oh, you know what, Penelope? Tell us about the hungry travelers. Well, on a night very much like this one, there were a group of people. Some sources say five, some say six. It happened quite a while ago, so no one's quite sure. And the friend of a friend was very, very young at the time, so memories fade. Well, they were settling into camp, and they got hungry, as one does. And unfortunately, earlier in the day, they had lost one of their packs in a deep river when they were crossing it, which held all their cooking implements. So, as one does, they improvised. They took some green boughs from some nearby trees and created kind of a barbecue lattice to cook their food. And it was fine. The night went okay. People ate their dinner, were satisfied, and and went to bed. But then, later that night, they heard a deep growling. First, they couldn't quite tell where it was coming from. It started to get louder. And they realized it was coming from the other tent. There were two tents, you see. And... For a while, they just stared blankly into the dark, hoping that it would disappear, but it got louder and louder, and they couldn't ignore it anymore. So they slowly blinked open their eyes, plucked up their courage, and opened the tent, creeping, creeping to the next tent, shaking with every step, Scared as what they would find. Slowly, they pulled back the flap to the entrance, whispering softly. Uh, hello? Then, from the darkness, boo! It was my brother, pretending to be a wild animal, and it scared me so bad. And that's why. Wait, I improvisation. thought this happened is sometimes this, not okay. Um, didn't this happen to a friend of a friend of a friend? The friend was me. It was a, what do they call that in a story? Oh, oh, so it was a literary device. Okay. I I had to sleep near my mom and dad that night. <laughs> Gideon just kind of like gives Saw a little pat as he has kind of discreetly latched himself onto her arm having been startled. He did get in trouble, I will say. He um, had to do a good share of the washing up and, and cooking for the rest of that trip. Cobb is just kind of smiling at, at the fact that Penelope's grudge against her brother overrode her desire to tell a spooky story. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite clear out tonight, hey? Mm. Yeah. It's funny with these big, big open skies if there's not mountains or a lot of trees or mm, 
Yeah, the stars look nice, but they don't move right. Not out here. Hmm. It's still so amazing to me how you folks can navigate so well by by them. There's just so many. And how do you know? <laughs> it must take lots of lots of practice. Yeah. You... I'm getting to know a few here and there, but... <laughs> mm-hmm. You tell stories about them, though. Um, um, so this one that we've talked about before? Out here, it's called the lion. Um, this is how I heard it at a village, and, um... They were trying to dig a well, and I helped find a good place for water and helped dig for a while. And while we were digging, one of the villagers picked up a stone, and it didn't seem like a particularly special stone to me, but she picked it up and looked at it and started talking about the lion. So, a long, long time ago, the felt lions didn't talk. They didn't say anything to each other. From the day that they were born to the day that they died, didn't say a thing. And so, they tended to stay really close to each other because... If they wandered out into the grass, especially when they were young, well, how would they ever get found again? And so it was that one young lion wandered off into the veldt and found a beetle. And the, the beetle is over there. You can see sort of behind the lion's tail. Ah. And there's a story about the beetle, too, but um, the beetle was very loud. The beetle used all of the words that insects know, and insects know a lot of words. Can you hear them right now? No, not the beetles right now. Um, What the beetle had to say was that if you climb all the way from the veldt on the small grasses and onto the brambles and onto the tall grasses and onto the trees, if you walked all the way up the tree, you could just barely touch the moon. And the lion was very intrigued by this and decided, okay, I will walk all the way to the tree. And the tree is all the way over there. And Tissa points off way to the west. Do you see how far away that is? So the lion had to keep walking and walking and walking and heard all of the stories of the snails and the coyotes and eagles and with each one. Tissa points at a different member of this particular zodiac moving from east to west and finally made it all the way to the tree, leaped up the tree's boughs, 
branch by branch by branch, and leaped all the way up to the moon and stuck her claws in, climbed up and leaped out into the stars. But she was lonely, all out in the stars, all by herself. And that is when we first heard the lion's roar. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Now they can communicate to each other and not get lost. Mm. They can coordinate complicated pack tactics. Yeah, it must have been hard to be a lion before they talked. Oh, I imagine. I mean, talking's Mm. one of my favorite activities. I couldn't... It would be tricky. That it would. Mm. But you have to be careful with that. Mm. Oh? Once upon a time. Wait, can I tell this one? Can you? And she like looks at Zot. Can I tell this one? It's fine, it's fine. So, once upon a time, there lived a young king. Very young. Only about 18. But... As is the way with kings and royals and what have you, you just kind of get jammed into a role, kind of regardless of how you're doing. So um, the young king was too young to be a king, really, and also very, very nervous, very frightened of everyone and quite anxious. Saw enemies around every corner. The problem was when it came time to do kingly things like parley with people from other kingdoms or give speeches or make decrees couldn't do it clammed right up froze so one day the king was surveying his country on horseback he was uh, riding a horse over the well it wasn't the tundra it was the highlands back then and he came across a cave a magic cave it's just glittering with crystals and rare flowers, probably. And there was a clear-as-crystal pool that reflected the starlight. And he thought, wow, what a wonderful place. And he went inside the cave. Oh, I can't tell the story, can I? No, I can, t- I can tell the story. And he saw a demon there. She was fully clothed, I promise. And she said to the young king, I have been terribly bored in this cave all alone. Let's play board games. And if you stay the night with me playing board games, then I will grant you a wish. And the king thought, I like board games. Also, I'm 18, and I will never turn down board games, no matter how suspicious the circumstances. No matter how suspicious. Right. As one does. As one does, when one is... Oh. Well. And she kind of looks at Penelope and is like, oops. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot you're also a baby. (laughs) I'm soon going to be 20. It's fine. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, the young king stayed up all night playing many different board games. And the story does go into some detail as to the nature of these board games. 
which I have forgotten. <laughs> anyway. I'm sure it was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's how the story goes, anyway. I think I've seen pictures of this one. <laughs> yeah. There's apparently some ancient frescoes that are really excited about this story. So, and the young king says to the demon, he says, I had no idea that uh, this kind of board games was out there in the world. My world has been so small and sheltered. And those were the first words that he had spoken to the demon. And the demon said, you've done it and reached out and placed a hand against his cheek. And from now on, she said, you will be able to speak freely and you won't be frightened anymore. And you'll know I am with you. And if you return to this cave in silence, I will play board games with you again. And the king was super excited about this. He was over the moon. He gets back to his kingdom and he finds that he literally cannot stop talking anymore. He just keeps going. He, he got back and his knight captain was like, where were you? We've been looking everywhere. And he's like, I was out on the out, out on the highlands. I was looking at things. This is a list of the things that I saw. I saw some crystals. I saw a cave. Don't worry about the cave. I saw a pool. I saw the stars. And he just keeps going long after he has lost things to say. And so he went from not being able to talk at all to not being able to stop. And he just kept going. And as one does when one has to talk, but one forgets entirely what the purpose of talking is, he just started saying whatever was on his mind immediately. And so it happened that as he was kind of waxing nostalgic about his encounter with the demon to a friend... He had friends now, which was very exciting for him. One of his friends thought, Aha, I will find this demon. And I too shall have unlimited board games. And um, the, the friend went and saw the cave and called out, Hello, is anyone there? And he walked into the cave to see the demon transformed into its true form, and it had like five mouths and they were all full of horrible dripping teeth. Oh, and the demon did devour the, the second uh, suitor hole. Um, mm -hmm. And um, the king wanted to go back. He wanted to go back to the cave, but he knew somewhere in his little heart that he had already learned the lesson the demon had tried to teach him and he wished he hadn't learned it because now they called him the Motormouth King. Oh, he also lost a huge amount of territory. And some people say that that's because he couldn't, uh, like, keep his cards close to his chest in a negotiation. Mm. So he, he lost a huge chunk of territory. And that part's actually in the history books. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh. So the moral of the story is be careful what you wish for, I think. That... I'm sure it is. Huh, that definitely makes makes one think, for sure. Oh, and also that there are more important things than board games. Yeah, I, I, I guess. But unlimited board games. Sot nods. 
Board games. No, you're too young for board games. <laughs> and slowly but surely, the sun sinks below the veldt itself. It is far later, I think, than you intended to stay up when night falls. That's the way it is on the prairies. But the world falls into stillness and silence around you. And soon it's time to curl up in your tents or sit up on watch and prepare for a journey into the very heart of Amilta. And I do believe it's memory time. So my memory is I love how each story is very much in line with each character telling it. <laughs> it's very good. Like we have a tale from the way back days from Cobb. We have Penelope just being a goof. We have uh, Tissa telling a story about the constellations and the stars. And then Gideon telling a story about like a almost seems like it's related to almost some kind of like ancient epic or something like. Yeah. I was going for something like ancient Roman, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. like a chapter <laughs> in the Golden Ass or some other like similarly lewd piece of ancient Roman literature. <laughs> can I, okay. Can I ask the, 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 the board games was a euphemism. Yeah, Obviously. Yeah? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think my memory is. Is Kirsten asking if the obvious euphemism is a euphemism? <laughs> You're older than me, and yet, <laughs> and yet. Well, I, I just, I had, I, I had to be sure, you know. <laughs> Penelope has to be sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for real, though, I, I actually really liked that. It was just kind of like, hey, should we story time? And we just did. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad we did that. I hesitated to put you all up to it, but I think the result was really wonderful. I'm glad. Yeah, I think that was a very nice, just everybody getting to hang out and do party bonding stuff. That was very, it was very sweet. I enjoyed hearing a little bit of the Marilyn backstory because you three have had a lot of that, but I wasn't in on that very first playtest campaign. Oh, I'm so excited. Marilyn and the Shadow Monarch did not get along. She was a scared. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert. The Shadow Monarch's a dragon? And on that bombshell. Listeners, thank you very much for joining us for Storytime on the Veldt. You're great. You're just, ah, oh, you're so charming. What a great listener. And if you have tales for us, you can send them to us on Twitter at PeachGardenRPGs. Or on our website, peachgardengames.com, there's an email form you can use to send me your tales. You can also tell them to us on the Be Gay Roll Dice Network Discord or on our own Heroic Discord. You can find the links to the first one at Be Gay Roll Dice on Twitter and the second one on our Twitter. We are also, uh, we've just received word that we've been accepted into the Miami Web Fest. So that's going to be a blast. Yeah. Ooh. Stoked about it. Yeah, look for us there. Yeah, absolutely. And, listener, I'm going to take the load off my good friend Nick here to tell you that if you would like to support us, you can just visit our website. There's a support us link. That'll take you to our Ko-fi, 
take you to our Patreon. Or, you know, if you can't support us monetarily, we get it. These are times. It's always times because of the hell dimension we live in. The times are especially but, timely these times. <laughs> you're not wrong. <sighs> but if you would like to leave us a rating and review, it'll help more people to uh, find us, which we would be very grateful for because we're very attached to our listeners. And thank you for listening. We'll see you all next time, everybody. Bye. Bye, everyone. Be gay. Roll dice. An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network. Hi, I'm Kendrick. I'm Gus. I'm Hilda. And I'm Marcy. And we're the cast of Tales Yet Told. An actual play podcast dedicated to telling weird and fun stories full of imagination, thoughtful characterization, and inclusivity. You should go listen to our first season, Strangers in the Wood. Where we play Babes in the Wood, an over-the-garden-wall-inspired tabletop RPG by Adam Voss. It's fun. Spooky. And full of weird characters, like Dex the diner owner and Miss Jackson the parrot desk attendant. And with lovable player characters, like Dakota, Dorothy, and Walter the Weasel. Follow us on Twitter at Tales Yet Told for more details and look out for new episodes every Wednesday. So go out, eat well, sleep enough, and love yourself like we love you. <laughs> <laughs>